Hello and welcome back to the Venture Equity Project Podcast. I'm your host, Waylon Chong, and today we are so excited to have Aaron and Melvin from the Camelback Ventures on the podcast today. Let's dive right into it. To start us off, what is the mission and vision of Camelback Ventures and how does data drive this mission? Definitely. So the mission of Camelback Ventures is to provide access and opportunity for entrepreneurs of color and women by investing in their companies, but also in their leadership and also trying to figure out how we can create more fairness in their funding. And really that mission leads us to this bigger vision around how can we create livable communities and pass down like a great inheritance for, for future generations. And so we, we do that through a few different uh, sort of initiatives that we lead. One is a fellowship program, which is focused on entrepreneurs. The other is a, a program that we call the Capital Collaborative, which is really about how do we work with funders, right? Because we just realized that if you go to work in entrepreneurship and particularly working with undervalued entrepreneurs, that they're a part of this ecosystem. And so we need to have just as much impact on funders as we are on founders. I love how you guys are doing a two-pronged approach, tackling both the founders and the funders. For those who don't know, what is the mission of the Capital Collaborative and what sparked the creation of this? Yeah, I think the best place to start is to talk about what sparked the creation of the Capital Collaborative. And it started several years ago when we were looking at some data from the Camelback portfolio. And what we saw was that Camelback fellows, 95% of whom folks of color, uh, 60% of whom identify as women or non-binary, they were outperforming their more white and or more male peers across financial attraction and across a set of social impact metrics that we were looking at, but they were getting outraised three to one. And wow. so often, oftentimes when you have the discussion around funding disparities, you get to this point, well, maybe they don't have enough traction, maybe this, maybe that. And so here we had this five plus year data set within our own portfolio to say that it's not about, it's not about traction, right? Either there are some funders who are okay paying three times as much for the same thing if, or lesser. Or there's just really deep bias in the system. And we think that investors and funders are too smart to pay three times as much for the same thing or less. So it only leads us to this conclusion that it must be about bias that exists, whether conscious or, or unconscious. And so then the question is like, what do you do with that? And so for us at Camelback, we just realized that we can keep doing work with entrepreneurs. And we can keep doing a great job with them, but that at the end of the day, if they continued upon leaving our program, not to have access to the resources that they needed. And that in some ways I could argue that they, that had earned and deserved uh, to be able to sort of scale and grow the, the impact of what they were doing, that this was going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where they were never going to fully reach their potential. And that the, the impact of that would be that ideas that could be having more impact, that could be having sort of more financial success in the world, weren't gonna ever reach that point. And so that, that sort of led us to the Capital Collaborative, which is to say, can we create an experience for resource holders to help them understand that by you know, centering equity, by centering folks of color, by centering women and non-binary folks in how they think about uh, their investment, how they think about their philanthropy, that they aren't actually lowering the bar, that they're raising the bar. 
And that if, if we can get more people to think in those kind of ways and begin to shift resources, I think, to entrepreneurs that deserve it, that we could have more of an impact than, than we're having. And so that sort of led us to this place of the Capital Collaborative, which when you strip away all the fancy words, is essentially a six-month program where we work with resource holders at family foundations, at investment firms, folks who are just high net worth individuals who are leading their own philanthropy or investing just as individuals and trying to help them to sort of understand what would it look like for them to think about their investment in a different way to put more resources towards what we call undervalued entrepreneurs at Camelback. In what ways does the Capital Collaborative use data for good? I, I think about the Capital Collaborative using data for good means of measuring outcomes. The six-month program where we're doing this reflection, we're building community is great, but what we're really trying to do is shift those resources that are going towards the, these undervalued entrepreneurs. So our use of data for good is keeping our eye on the outcome of shifting those resources. Aaron spoke about the, the many different types of participants, but we had over 57 participants that manage over 600 million in investments. And if we can just start to shift the share of that wallet towards more undervalued entrepreneurs, that's a huge impact. And that's how we stay focused. It's not just about the programming and if folks enjoy it, but where the rubber meets the road is how are we shifting more funds and resources to these entrepreneurs? How is Camelback Ventures as a whole using data for good? So I know in the Capital Collaborative specifically, it's very impact and solution-based. Is this true for the other projects that Camelback is working on? How else is Camelback using data for good? We use data as a tool, one for internal continuous improvement, so how are we serving uh, the entrepreneurs that come through our programs? How are we serving the participants in Capital Collaborative? So how can we fine tune the machine to increase our impact to better realize our vision of making more livable communities? The other way we use data is providing tools and resources. So for Capital Collaborative, for example, we're working with them to know their numbers and grow their numbers. A lot of these institutions don't have the tools and processes in place to even report out on the demographics of their portfolios. So we're saying, look, here's how you should be collecting and being mindful of best practices and how you're being sensitive with demographic information that you're collecting. So we're also giving these organizations the tools to better collect and use the data that they're collecting for good. I'd love to learn more about the start of Capital Collaborative. How did you guys come up with the six-month program? What was that process like? We had been running the Camelback Fellowship for six, seven years before we launched the Capital Collaborative. And so in some ways we had a model for what does it look like to run a cohort-based program? It's just this is with a different audience. When we were working on a strategic plan a few years ago and we saw that data that I was telling you about before about these entrepreneurs that were going through Camelback who were in many ways outperforming, but still becoming underfunded. It's that piece that led us to the creation of it. And so we went out and we said, hey, you know what, we're always pointing these programs toward, felt towards entrepreneurs and towards founders. What if we just pointed one towards funders, what would happen? And so we pitched the idea to a couple partners, the New School Venture Fund and the, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative being two of them. And they were really uh, supportive of us in this idea and sort of helped us get it off the ground. And so we, we recruited in our first cohort, we recruited 
11 participants and today we have this idea and I think some of the, the timing was fortuitous. This was 2020 where just as a country we were having this really intense conversation around what does equity look like in a whole bunch of different aspects of our society. And there were people who were saying, hey, I know that this is important, but I don't know what to do. And so we said, hey, we don't know everything, but we have been doing this kind of thing for seven years. And so for those who were raising their hands saying, I know that this is important, but I don't know what to do, the Capital Collaborative became a mechanism for them to figure out what to do. And like Melvin mentioned, we've worked with 57 folks so far, but we think that there are way more than that who are raising their hands saying, I know that this is important, but I don't know what to do. And at the end of this, of, of the program, our hope is that they say, I know what to do, and they have the tools to be able to go out and do that. You mentioned the Camelback Fellowship as well at the beginning of your answer. I'd love to learn more about what is the fellowship and how has it evolved over time? Yeah, definitely. The, the Camelback Fellowship, in many ways, you can think about, you can think about it as an accelerator for entrepreneurs. It's a four and a half, five month program where we provide entrepreneurs with what we call like the five C's. The first is capital. So we write $40,000 checks to all of the founders that we work with. And we say that we're trying to be the friends and family round for people who don't have it. If you don't mm -hmm. come from resources or have a network of resources, how do you get that first couple checks? And we want Camelback to be one of those places. So there's capital, um, there's coaching. There are multiple coaching aspects, but every entrepreneur that we work with gets a coach that it's like a job, like the coaches get vetted in a three to four month process and we pay them. So this is not just like a volunteer, hey, show up when you can to talk to this entrepreneur. You have a really important role to play. We're gonna pay you to do that. And their job is to be a strategy partner, uh, a thought partner. And even as these things tend to go, sometimes therapists, because when you're dealing with entrepreneurs at the early stages, some of it is just like helping them get through some of the hard times. So there's a coaching piece. There's a connection piece, which is really just a way to sort of say, how can you bring social capital to the table? I think about all of the folks when I was starting Camelback who leveraged their social capital on my behalf. They made an introduction to someone I didn't know. They got me an invitation to the conference that was invite only or that I couldn't afford because the registration fee was 1500 bucks. And they said, hey, I'll, I'll help you with that. And it's oftentimes in those connections and in those spaces where you meet the people who become your advisors, your customers, your investors, so on and so forth. So that's the third. And then the fourth is just community, right? Being an entrepreneur can be really isolating. And so how can you put entrepreneurs, particularly those who oftentimes in other spaces of their life, they're the, what I would call the lonely only, right? They're the only person of color, mm -hmm. they're the only woman, they're the only person from a certain geographic area. And they finally are then in this community in Camelback where they see people who are, are similarly situated and just the power of what that community can mean for psychological safety. And there's a whole sort of body of research just on the power of psychological safety and what that means for risk-taking, which in many ways mm -hmm. is like the core a skill of entrepreneurship. And then yeah, the last piece sure. is just a curriculum, right? And there's a curriculum that we put folks through where we just try to give them the core skills that any CEO would need to be successful, regardless of whether they're starting a school or a tech company or anything in between. I love the framework of the five C's as well, kind of guiding this fellowship. I also think the key component there of having partners and strategic partners, but also making sure that they're like vetted and helping these entrepreneurs and really there for them. I feel like a lot of fellowship programs, oftentimes they half-heartedly do it. It's on volunteer basis and the entrepreneurs don't get the support network that they need for the work that they're doing. So I absolutely love the intentionality that goes behind the fellowship. 
Switching gears a little bit, how can we change the entrepreneurial landscape for entrepreneurs of color through data? What is the Camelback approach to this question? I think the Capital Collaborative is one of our like main initiatives to shift the landscape. There's only so much skill building you can do with fish in the ocean. You need to change and clean the water. So uh, mm -hmm. a lot of what we are working towards is like, how do we clean that water? How do we empower more resource holders to make shifts in their portfolios, to change their deal count, to change their deal value that are going to women, non-binary people of color that are trying to raise funds. And I think that's a, a huge endeavor that Camelback hopes to assist with in that support of system building, process building, checking, knowing your numbers, because we can no longer live in a space where you uh, don't ask those questions because you don't feel comfortable. You have to have that level of visibility into your own investing so you can know how to shift and grow those numbers. One of the things that Aaron mentioned earlier is that a lot of investors and funders, they know that there's a problem that exists but don't know how to do it. What actions can main stakeholders take to be a part of creating a more equitable future for entrepreneurs of color? The first step is to broaden your network. If you find yourself talking to the same types of people from the same places, from the same backgrounds, got to break out of that box. And so I think that's one sort of very tangible thing to do. And that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily make an investment, but you definitely got to bat zero if you aren't talking to any black founders. You're not going to invest in any if you don't have, if you're not in a relationship with them at all. So I think that's, and that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily make an investment, but you definitely got to bat zero if you aren't talking to any black founders. You're not going to invest in any if you don't have, if you're not in a relationship with them at all. Two is just think about the types of questions that you ask. One of the things that we talk about in the Capital Collaborative, and there was some research done around this, just how oftentimes women and folks of color had asked questions that put them on the defensive and make them defend why it won't go wrong, whereas their counterparts are often asked questions about the potential of what it could be. And so mm -hmm. if, you, if you think about that, then if you're in your investment committee, if you're back at the committee that decides who how these resources are going to get moved and you're trying to compare two entrepreneurs and on one entrepreneur all you have is them basically defending all the ways that it won't go wrong because those are the kind of questions that you ask them and in the other hand you have this entrepreneur where they've you've given them all these questions about what it could be and they can talk into the potential of the future and how big it can grow who might be the one to get the investment and right, it's the one where you've got the beautiful story about everything it could be not mm -hmm. the one where it's all the things about how it might go wrong. So even just something like that, think about the questions that you're asking and you try to ask what is called like promotion questions as opposed to prevention questions. And I think that might um, just be like two small things that folks can do to just change the frame of how they're approaching it. On this topic of prevention questions and discrepancy of questions we see, why do you think that we see such a discrepancy of different types of questions. So whether it's a potential question or a prevention question, do you guys have any insights on why investors choose one or the other? Yeah, that's a tricky question. I think my short answer would just be that we have developed this narrative that some people are more risky than others. And so if you come into the conversation with this belief that someone is risky, then it might lead you to ask a set of questions that are, help you to mitigate that risk to understand, like sort of be able to take that risk down. Because I don't necessarily think we always talk about white founders or male founders 
is inherently being risky. And so it could be, I'm not saying this is the only thing, but it could be that initial framing that we come into it with that lead folks to ask one set of questions versus the other. I think that gives a lot of insight into the landscape of venture equity at the moment and also a little bit on what's going on inside investors' heads and what we can do to change that. As we close up this episode, I'd love to ask you guys about what else we can look forward to in Camelback's future. Yeah, well, one thing that I'm really excited for for 2022 is, you know, another application of data for good. And as I think about how we can reduce more barriers for entrepreneurs of color and other undervalued entrepreneurs. We have a search and online team that manages like the applications and selection for the fellowship that started thinking about how can we save time for these entrepreneurs that are applying to Camelback Fellowship and Echoing Green Fellowship and other programs and accelerators that similarly invest in our types of entrepreneurs. Is there a way for us to share that data across these organizations? Is there a way to have a single application that can point you to which organization or program is a best fit? So our search and online team is in conversations with a variety of organizations that are trying to figure out how can we streamline these application processes for entrepreneurs seeking funding, support, participation in these programs just to save time for these entrepreneurs because they have that they need to deal with. But if we're asking the same what is your value proposition? Tell us your problem statement over and over again. Let's reduce that if we can. Awesome. That is such a cool initiative. There are so many applications out there and so many different opportunities, but really narrowing down and making that match is where we can save a lot of time. I have one last question. In a sentence or two, what does it mean to use data for good? Data for good is just about progress, small steps. You don't know how far you've gone unless you have a measurement tool to say that doesn't need to be quantitative. I love the idea of qualitative data storytelling, but it communicates the same idea that we've gone from here to here, or like this is our pie in the sky vision and we need to get there. And sometimes storytelling data, qualitative and quantitative is the best means to communicate that. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the Venture Equity Project podcast today. For our audience who want to continue to follow Camelback Ventures' journey, you can find them on their website at www.camelbackventures.org or on their Instagram at Camelback Ventures. The NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center is proudly hosting and producing this podcast. The center is a nonprofit that is aimed at building a better path for entrepreneurs worldwide by improving inclusion, access, and knowledge in entrepreneurship. None of what we could do today would be possible without our amazing support from our sponsors, including NASDAQ, Lehigh University, Airbnb, Bank of the West, KPMG, Wilson Sonsini, Woodruff Sawyer, HubSpot, NASDAQ's Foundation, BPM, and California Community Colleges. My name is Waylon Chong, and I'm so excited to bring you along this journey with me. 